0: breakfast for sure. Let's, uh, let's open a prayer and then we'll just get right into Judges. It's got two chapters tonight, so it's gonna we'll move right through it pretty quick. Father, we thank you again uh, as we open up your word apart from uh, your spirit just illuminating who Jesus is to us, but illuminating his word, uh, to, uh, your word to us, Lord. I just again, we just, we just pray that, Lord, that we just our ears are open, our hearts are softened and ready to receive what your spirit has for us this evening through your word. Uh, How us partake in in our meal this evening here, midweek, to rejuvenate us, to encourage us in our our walk with you through this week, but also to go out and reach the lost and encourage those in the faith, Lord. Equip us to do this work, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Judge Deborah. We see the fourth judge of the 13 here in Judges. And we'll find it's interesting because we'll find a very unique story takes place in how God uses Deborah, yes, a woman, a leader, (laughs) to do and to stimulate and to encourage uh, to do God's work. And uh, we'll talk about that a little bit in detail. But on chapter 5, we're going to see a song uh, that is sung. And uh, and it really brings to light of what took place in Deborah's life being called by God to, to be this, this judge, this, this hero, uh, for the, God's people to, to bring them out of captivity. And we're going to see this once again played out here in these verses. But the main thing that we're looking at is that cycle begins again for the nation of Israel. What is that cycle? Going into apostasy, into captivity being you're going to be a slave servitude and then supplication crying out to God oh God come save us and it's that cycle in the history of Israel but also for us as well for those who get on that crazy cycle of getting into walking away and going into evilness of against God and then find themselves in bondage once again into the sins they found themselves God freeing them from And then crying out to God, please come and and bring me back out of this, and get me back right with you. So, uh, we will see that as we go through these these two chapters, in Judges chapter four, verses one through three, we see this cycle where Ehud had died again, one of the last judges, and the children of Israel. Again, did evil in the sight of the Lord. Here we come to apostasy again. Evil in sight of the Lord. So the Lord sold them into the hand of Jabin, king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. The commander of his army was uh, Sai Surah, who dwelt in Haroseth. Hegoim, And the children of Israel cried out to the Lord, for Jabin had nine hundred chariots of iron, and for twenty years he harshly oppressed the children of Israel. So seeing the continued drift, the drifting away from the things of God into disobedience against God, and disobedience makes one a person Less and less confident of a man when these things happen. And more and more impressed with the mercy and the grace of God as well when God comes and rescues you. And so what we find here is this drifting of disobedience and going back into evil. It makes a man less and less confident. It really does take the strength of a man away or a woman away. But when then God's by God's grace and mercy he rescues, it just highlights and impresses of his mercy and grace for coming and saving us in our lives. But we see also through Israel for keeping kept forsaking him, but then he kept working with them to bring them back out and raising up a judge to help do that work. But it sees right here as soon as they drifted and went disobedient, went back to evil in the sight of God. God allowed them to go to, into the, what they wanted. You want that? That's what you want. That's that well, you're going to be sold right back into the bondage. And in this one, this king is Jabin of Canaan, who's the one God uses to bring. Uh, judgment upon him. It appears Jabin ruled over Hazor, which is about 15 miles north of the Sea of Galilee. So you can kind of picture where that's taking place in the land. But God loved Israel too much to let them go that, their way for too long. In this case, it's, it, again, for 20 years, we, uh, we will see them uh, going back into bondage again. So it's, it's gradually going up and down, and we'll also see 40 years at one point of uh, fighting rest. So they're in and out at different times for different lengths, but God loved them. And there, there, there may be times when we wish God would leave us alone. Let us do what we want to do. Yet we are ultimately faithful for his continued dealing with it. Even though we say, God, leave me alone. Let me go back and do what I want to do in the world. And then when you get out there and you get a taste of it, what happens? God, I really don't want that. I didn't want that. I didn't want to go back to that. I didn't think it was going to happen again. I don't think it was going to have this such an impact. I didn't think it was going to be that bad. And then you call out to God and say, God, please. And he's right there to rescue you. And he continues to deal with us. He doesn't leave us or forsake us as a believer. And he didn't leave them forsake them either. He allowed them to go do what they need to go into bondage so they'd come to a point where they're broken and they cry out to God again. Even when it's not comfortable, they were crying out. And even when God deals with one in this way, it still may take a good while until they turn their heart to him in repentance. That's one thing I, I just, it's a key thing. Sometimes you see people walking away from the Lord, and you're like, Lord, and you keep praying for them and praying for them, and you hope that your prodigal son is coming back. You hope that your daughter is going to come back. You hope your husband your wife is coming back. You hope these things, and it can take some time. And it took Israel 20 years of bondage before they cried out to the Lord. God used an entire different oppressor this time. The Jabin, the king of Canaan. He never uses the same way, the same thing, the same way to get people to come back. You can't always say, oh, God's going to do this. No, no, God could use something completely different in some other way to get it, the attention of a person. And God, in, God will and can. Use anything to get our attention and keep us in line with his will. Why? I always ask the question, why? Why would he do that? Why would he keep coming back and bringing us back to his will and keep us? Because he understands the person he loves, the nation he loves, he understands the wages of sin is death. And as the children of Israel will discover, they're going to experience death. And even in our own day of inflation, even our own day of inflation that we're dealing with, sin's wages remain the same. It, relie- it leads people to death. spiritual death. It's death. It's, it's, it's why God keeps rescuing us and coming and not letting go of us and not forsaking us. Because he knows what the consequences is. And you're a child of God. He's going he's gonna to bring you back. And he may use a jabin in your life or some kind of bondage to get you to move away from the evil things and come back to to, to him, the word of God in in obedience. And he raises a judge up, the fourth judge, Deborah, a prophetess we see here in verse 4. Now Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of uh, Lapodoth, she judged Israel at that time, and she would sit under the palm tree of, or dwelt under, is the, the Greek word there, uh, the original word there, dwelt or sat under the palm tree of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel and Mount Ephraim. And the children of Israel came up to her for judgment. They, they, she was a wise. God gave her wisdom and, and asked, what, what direction should we take in this situation? Some consider it very unexpected for God to raise up a woman as a prophetess. But we see in the New Testament, makes it clear that God grants the gift of prophecy unto women also. That they are to practice it appropriately, of course. We see that noted in 1 Corinthians 11.5. But the Bible tells us of several prophetess. If you go back to Exodus, we remember Exodus 15.20, we saw Miriam. 2 Kings twenty two fourteen. 14, when we get there, we'll see uh, um, Huldah will be raised up as a prophetess. We'll see in Anna in Luke 2, verse 36. And then remember Philips. Philip's four daughters in Acts 21, 8, 9, were prophetess. So God used these women to with the, the ability to understand the word of God and the prophecy of, of what God wants to do and use them as, as an instrument for his people. And for when you go back to 1 Corinthians 11.5, we, 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 we find that the essential element to a woman's ministry as a prophetess in the early church was her clear submission to the male leadership of the church. How do we know that? Because when you go back to 1 Corinthians 11.5, you see that she was evidenced by her wearing of a veil. She was under the covering of, of male leadership. And in the New Testament, uh, New Testament church, a woman use, uh, or can and use her gifts that God gives her, the spiritual gift of prophecy, in context of order established by the leaders of the church, just like anyone else's other's gifts that are exercised within that church. This is always possible because God gives the gift of prophecy. It's not someone who says, I'm going to just do this. This is what God does. And the gift of prophecy never overwhelms, is probably the best word I can think of, is overwhelms the one who receives it. How do I know that? Because in 1 Corinthians 14.32 it says the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. Now she was used by God to judge Israel at that time. Now still, many people consider it unexpected for God to raise up a woman to be a judge, but a Shafat, or historic leader for Israel at that time, Deborah was a woman greatly used by God, period. Now some people will say, because no other males were stepping up into leadership roles to do their leadership, and of course then God's going to raise up women because the men are not raising up, and that could be true. But not in this case, as you continue to read, I don't see that. I literally just think that God gave her that gift of prophecy and used her for that period of time to, to actually stimulate or to encourage or to bring focus to the male leaders like Barak, as we will see, to step up and do what God wants them to do. Sometimes God will lay, raise up a woman to get a male to move. To encourage them. And men, if, you're, if you have a godly wife, you know what that means. God will stimulate that woman to get you to move. Because they know what God has, has called you to do for God. And she's going to be there to encourage you and help you. And that's where Deborah comes in here. Deborah was a great woman here of God. Who respected the people of God. Who was put in the authority... Yes, the, the Barak, notably Barak, over the authority over her, but she was still a vessel God used for his people at that time. Now the issue from a New Testament perspective is not whether women can be used greatly by God. Of course they can. The issue always comes up in the New Testament is about headship. A final accountability and authority. And God had granted these responsibilities to men in both the home and the church. That is very clear. But women can be used greatly by God with the gifts, spiritual gifts that God gives them. But it is to be under the headship of a male authority in the church, period. Now the the reasons having nothing to do with the fact that they have an unbelief or a you know they have they don't have the strength or the abilities or those kinds of things it's never under the idea of a male superiority and that's why women have to do it that's how the enemy twists it in the minds of people but that's not the reason they have to do with god's ordained order god sets order and it doesn't matter if you believe Trust it and believe it or not, it doesn't matter. It's God's order, and we follow God's order. That's the way it is. And we go back to 1 Corinthians 11, 3. And in light of God's order of creation, he created man before woman. Woman was from man. Man was not from woman. We see that, again, noted in 1 Corinthians 11, 8 and 9. In light of the presence of watching angels, even angels understand order, we see that 1 Corinthians eleven ten. And in light of the nature of the fall, we understand that in 1 Timothy 2, 14. All of these scriptures support God's order. Regardless if you don't like the order. And sometimes men don't like to be in charge because then they have to take responsibility and be accountable and and they have to have consequences that they don't step up and and do what God's called them to do. They they don't want that. So many men who will avoid responsibility in the home or avoid responsibility within the church. But God set that order. Now the reasons also have nothing to do with any belief or idea, or even the suggestion of female inferior inferiority. Jesus was under the headship and author of his Father. We see that in John five nineteen. So even Jesus was under the authority of his Father without being inferior in any way. We see that in John one one and John ten thirty. But we see here clearly that God used the children of Israel to come up to her for judgment. But we don't know why or how. Just know that God gave her the ability to prophesy. To give and help give direction. But we will see later here that we see that Barak doesn't seem to be all he should be. We have now no indication that he failed to do anything that God told him to do, but God used Deborah to stimulate him to take and do his role that God had placed him in, to go take care of the enemy. And we'll see that here now in verse 6 and 7. Then she sent and called Barak, the son of Abinomen from Kadesh and and Naphtali, and said to him, Has not the Lord God of Israel commanded, Go and deploy troops at Mount Tabor? Take with you 10,000 men of the sons of Naphtali and the sons of Zebulun, and against you I will deploy -er Sisera, the commander of Jabin's army, with his chariots and his multitude at the river of Kishon, and I will deliver him into your hand. So, Deborah never believed that God called her alone to go and lead and deliver Israel at all as a leader. God used her to say, go tell Barak that God said, God was speaking to you, Barak. Barak, you know right here, I'm telling you, God, the Lord God of Israel commanded you, you know this is what you're supposed to do, and I'm telling you, you better be obedient to what God's word is. You better go and deploy the troops. I know God has told you to go do this work. You're going to go to Mount Tabor and you're going to go there with 10,000 men of the sons of Naphtali and the sons of Zebulun and you're going to go deploy there against the commander of Jabin's army, Sisera. You're going to go against him. She was the messenger that God used to stimulate Barak, the leader, to go do that work. Now, the use of the phrase suggests here when Deborah simply confirms something that the Lord had already spoken to Barak. And often, God often does bring confirmation when he speaks to us through some people. Especially if, 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 if what we believe he wants us to do will affect other people. He will speak to your heart. He'll show you in the word and you're supposed to do it, but you just haven't been obedient. God will send someone else teaching the word of God or someone come in and says, I have a word for you. And it confirms what God's already telling you you need to be obedient to do. He just uses other people to encourage you to take that step of faith. So what happens in verse 8 through 10? We see Brock makes an interesting decision here. <laughs> Brock said to her, "If you will go with me, then I will go. But if you will not go with me, I will not go." What? So she said, "I will surely go with you." Nevertheless, watch those words. <laughs> Nevertheless. There will be no glory for you in the journey you are taking. For the Lord will sell Sisera into the hand of a woman. Then Deborah rose and went with Barak to Kadesh. And Barak called Zebulun, Naphtali, and Naphtali to Kadesh. And he went up with 10,000 men under his command. And Deborah went up with him. (laughs) Oh, (laughs) <laughs> there was nowhere in there that said that Deborah was supposed to go. She's just being the messenger. Barack, take these people, that thousand guys and go up there and take over Cessarot. Take that, that, that commander out and all the army. And he's saying, I'm, I, I'm, I'm trusting the fact that God is speaking to you. I'm not going anywhere without you coming with me because God's using you and speaking to you. I want you close to me. She's a fine, but you're not going to get any glory of this then. It's going to go to a woman then. You understand that it didn't seem unwise for Barack to ask Deborah to come with him. I mean, it's not, it, sometimes when you look at this, it doesn't seem unwise. Yet the fact that he demanded it showed that he trusted more in Deborah's relationship with God than in with his own with his relationship with God, because he was disobedient. Obviously, he's like, I don't know. I'm not. I'm not sure of this. I mean, he became famous, obviously, we know that, because he was in the faith uh, writings there in Hebrews chapter 11, verses 32 and 33. But here we see he showed some unbelief. But he still made the hall of faith there in Hebrews 11. But I think, to me, it's encouraging. Because here's a man who seemed to show weakness and seemed to, uh, maybe a little bit unbelief, but Let us be faithful in weakness. Because when you're weak, you become strong, the scripture says, if you trust him. Be faithful even in weakness. That's that's Barak. Though but weak in faith. Be faithful in the weakness. God is going to strengthen you and lift you up and, and bring you through this. Because of this Barak would not be the one to personally defeat Sisera, the commander of Jabin's army, but a woman. What woman? We will see. It's Jael, not Deborah, who's going to get the glory. Jael is the one that God's going to use to take down Sisera. He would expect this, you know, okay... Deborah, you're coming with me. That's why I'm bringing you with me here. (laughs) If if you're going to be, if it's going to be a woman, I'm not going to glory. Let let me do that because do do you realize I'm going against uh, a, a Jabin's army? Led by Sisera here with 900 chariots of iron. Do you realize that the technology, the, the advanced army that I'm going against here, do you understand what, is, what we're in up, up against here is the most sophisticated advanced army of those days? Are you kidding me? 900 chariots of iron. Remember, the Israelites had no essential uh, uh, weapons at all to fight against us. None. But nevertheless, Barak and all who went with him showed real courage and trust in God to go out against Sisera and his army. Even though those 900 chariots of iron would come barreling down against him. But you have to remember, God led them to fight on a plain, a plain area where we see here in Kadesh. which gives a much more advantage to the chariots because the chariots have a plan to just barrel down through. They didn't have to go through, chariots don't go through mountains. They don't go through rock crevices of, of valleys. They actually, God brought them to the plains that gave full advantage of Sisera's army and the chariots. And But that's where God is going to go. Why? Why is that? Anyone in the right mind of military strategy say we're never going to go fight someone with 900 chariots of all the weaponry. It's like saying 900 tanks barreling straight down, with no nothing stopping them, and we're just going to have to be on feet coming right at them on foot soldiers, and we like we have an advantage or something. Why does God do that? Because God gets all the glory. Because God is going to show strength through these willing, faithful trusting men in God to do the work. And God's going to get all the glory. So what, how does it play out here? They don't know how it's going to play out. We get to see how it plays out. Look at verses 11. Now Heber, the Kenite of the children of Hobah, the father-in-law of Moses, had separated himself from the Kenites and pitched his tent near the terabith tree at Zainam, which is beside which is besides Kadesh and they re- reported to Sisera that Barak the son of Abinom had gone up to Mount Tabor so Sisera gathered together all his chariots 900 chariots of iron okay now we're repeating it twice now the emphasis on how strong this army is and all the people who were with him from Haroseth Hagom to the river of K- K- Kishon so there were, obviously, you have to look at the characters here. Heber, the Kenite, were distant um, descendants of Israel. They were through Jethro, if when, we, when we studied in Genesis, they were, the, they were through the lineage of Jethro, the priest of the Median, which was the father-in-law of Moses back in Abraham days, and his second wife of Keterah. So that's in Genesis 25, 1 through 4. But it appears Heber, even though he separated himself from Israel, is now in, 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 in cahoots, or not cahoots, but was dwelling with Jabin and, 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 and company, has now pitched, he's kind of separated him from, himself from Canaanites and pitched his tent there in Kadesh. Now it's interesting, why did he do that? Well, it appears that he did that because he was setting up Sisera, the commander up for defeat. Why? Because Sisera gathered together and uh, all of his chariots based upon a report that was coming from him to go and do these things. And he was telling Barak where to go and do those things in regards to Mount Tabor. So this, this was a sophisticated, impressive military technology, these, these, these chariots of iron was so strong against the armies of Israel under the direction of Barak and Deborah, were of great disadvantage, we would think. But look what happens. Then Deborah said to Barak, up. <laughs> That's a very simple, straightforward, up. He must have been laying down. I don't know what he's doing, but he up. For this is the day in which the Lord has delivered Sisera into your hand. Was he sleeping? Get up here. Has not the Lord gone out before you? Haven't you, Aren't you seeing what God's doing? He's going before you. We're to follow what God's doing. We're following what God's doing here. Can't you see that? So Barak went down, from, uh, went down from Mount Tabor with 10,000 men following him. And the Lord rooted, or routed Sisera, all his chariots and all his army with the edge of the sword before Barak. And Sisera alightened, alightened from his chariot. You can almost picture he must have just booked it from that chariot. I mean, he was just thrown from it. He was, he was like out of there because he was alighting like from his chariot and fled away on foot. But Barak pursued the chariots and the army as far as uh, Heroseth, Hegoim, and all the army of Sisera felled by the edge of the sword. Not a man was left fascinating gets better because this was a wonderful act of faith on the part of Barack, was it not don't you see God moving you got to go now and God used Deborah to get up get up move can't you see this I can see this let's go And he did. He didn't hesitate. Who moved the battleground, he went down from Mount Tabor. He brought his army down through. He's got a great disadvantage going down in the plains. All these chariots are coming. But when I study the word, I always find little nuggets that are always fascinating to me. Do you know where Mount Tabor is? Do you know where that is? Mount Tabor is a hill in the middle of the valley of Jezreel also known as the Valley of Megiddo or Armageddon. Do you know where in the scriptures where an army will come against the nation of Israel? The Battle of Armageddon will come against Jesus at that point in time Then the Valley of Megiddo. Many fours are fought right there. And if you've ever been to Israel and you've been down on the plain, you've seen the Valley of Megiddo, you know exactly where this war took place or this, this, these chariots and the, the collision here. But the Lord, no one else, the Lord routed Sisera and all his chariots. Because Barak's great trust in God and moving, as well as trusting his armies was in God's hands, and God was saying, this is what I'm calling you to do. God granted them a great victory against the greatest odds. The word routed is very interesting because in the vulgar Latin it means terrified the lord terrified the commander sisera and all of his serfs he terrified them perhaps by the thunder and the hailstones that we see we will see in joshua 10:10 10, 10, or first samuel 7:10 but where the same hebrew word is used or else by some hurry Noise made by the air of the angels. It's the same word used in 2 Kings 6. Something stimulated a terrifying moment for the people at that moment and made them move. But something was certainly done from heaven to cause the commander and all these warriors to move to exactly what God wanted them to do. We know from Judges... In chapter 5 here tonight, when we, <laughs> I hope to get there, in verse 4 and 5, and in verse 21, God helped Israel to victory by bringing an earthquake and flash flood at that moment. We don't see it here, but we see it in the song they're about to sing. And the muddy conditions made the chariots of iron a hindrance and an un- unusable in war. And when they started seeing that, we see uh, our friend there uh, the, uh, book it. And uh, Sisera was out of there because he realized what was happening. But has not the Lord gone out before you? I mean, I just those are really solid words that God used for Deborah to say. Do you not see God moving? It's going to take faith. Anytime there's something of God, it requires faith. If it doesn't take faith, it's not of God. Let me say it again. If you're going to do something for God, it takes faith. If it doesn't take faith, it's not of God. And you've got to go. When you see a move, you just go with what God's doing. You move with what God's doing. What he called you to do. And this is the phrase that speaks of a king or a general leading his troops, right? In 1 Samuel 8:20, it's the same kind of a verbiage here that God gives to Deborah playing this huge role for the victory. He's, she's an encourager. Get up, man. Go, Barak. You've got to go. Go now. Don't you see God moving? Go. Because she was building up the faith of Barak and his men. She was the encouragement. She had the, didn't say the gift of encouragement. She had the gift of prophecy to be able to use God's words and to direct him. And just like a king, you've got to go before his people into battle. And he did. But what happened? Let's see what the rest of the interesting story played out. However, Sisera had fled away on foot to the tent of Jael, the wife of Heber, the Kenite. For there was peace between Jabin, king of Hazor, and the house of Heber, the Kenite. So again, he he separated himself back the, year, year, years before away from Israel and, and dwelt in peace with this king uh, Jabin. But then he separated it from himself, and he's now sitting in Kadesh. He's sitting in there. He seems to be have been used by God to get the, um, Sisera to, to move his army, to come against God's people, to set him up. But look for verse 18. And Jael, his wife, went out to meet Sisera and said to him, Turn aside, my lord. Turn aside to me. Do not fear. And when he had turned aside with her into the tent, she covered him with a blanket. Then he said to her, Please give me a little water to drink, for I am thirsty. So she opened a jug of milk, gave him a drink, and covered him. And he said to her, Stand at the door of the tent, and if any man comes and inquires of you and says, Is there any man here? You shall say no. Then Jael, Heber's wife, took a tent. Peg and took a hammer in her hand and went softly to him and drove the peg into his temple and it went down into the ground for he was fast asleep and weary so he died. Whew. And then as Barak pursued Sisera Jael came out to meet him and said to him come I will show you the man whom you seek and when he went into her tent there lay Sisera dead with the peg in his temple. Whoa, that's a moment. So who's the woman who's actually going to get the glory? Jael, not Deborah even though God used Deborah, and she does get the glory of what God did with, through her life. But look at what happens. Sisera comes to this place. He runs to this area, thinking he had peace with this, the, the, this, the household of the Canaanite of Heber. The wife is right there. God has Jael's place, and he says, I, I need find place to hide. She's actually the one that gave and gave the suggestion. To, Why don't you come in here? Why? Because no man is going to come to a woman's tent. Why? Because we know in Genesis 24, 67 and 31, 33, women had their own tents separated from their husbands. So here, hide in there because it's a woman's tent. No man's going to be there. If they do ask, if you seen a man around here? You just say no. It's a great plan. She actually hides them, didn't give them water, it gave them milk. Let me soothe your little tiresome little body and you go to sleep. And sure enough, he certainly did because then she took advantage of that because she recognized, because remember, as we will read on the, the song, there was earthquakes, there was flooding going, there was all kinds of things going on. She knew something was happening and God was doing it from heaven. And God used her to drive a stake right down through. Why? Because most at that time, women did all the setting up the tents and tearing down the tents. She knew how to handle a peg and a hammer and drove that thing right through the temple into the ground. Tented him right there. Sure was. And the glory detail of this matter supports the eyewitness account JL knew how to handle that peg do what God needed her to do we don't see any signs where God spoke to her but she knew this man needed to go down because this is what's happening with the war and her husband knew and and they must have communicated she knew what was going on as the woman and uh, God brought this guy right into her hands Uh, yes she broke all the hospitality rules some people get wrapped up in the fact that she broke all the hospitality. She wasn't supposed to do that. That wasn't very godly of her, right? Broke all the traditions and goes on and on. Are you kidding me? He, God used her for his purpose. The war stopped. The leader no longer. God's people were harshly oppressed by these people. And they freed God's people. That's how God did it. That's how God does it sometimes. But it never dismi- diminishes the personal responsibility of the one doing the evil, though. Judas' betrayal of Jesus served the eternal purpose of God yet he still answered for the evil deed. How that all weighs out and how God works that out as between God and that person, is it not? Now verse 23 we see this decisive battle, the victory was soon won for Israel because so on that day God subdued Jabin king of Canaan in the presence of the children of Israel and the hand of the children of Israel grew stronger and stronger against Jabin king of Canaan until they destroyed Israel. Uh, Jabin king of of Canaan the war is over Jabin destroyed his his leader was destroyed Uh, his people were destroyed all those those high tech uh, warrior things called the chariots were of no good and use God won he always wins always wins well this was such an incredible moment that God gives Judge Deborah a song. The song of Deborah here in chapter five. The blessing to God, the deliverance of God. What is the song for? It's but to, to praise God, to worship God, to bring, he brings through his, you know, what he did through everybody involved. They actually worshiped God. And they sung what took place. In this event, look what happens here in chapter five, verses one through two, one through two. Keep in mind as we read through this. Is this the theme of the song? If you want to know what the theme of the song is, the joy and the blessing of being in the willing instrument of God. That's what it all comes out. I was a. They were willing instruments of God, and it brings great joy and great blessing. And they're going to worship God because of God of, of uh, for the deliverance that God did through. Uh, through his leaders. Look at what happens. Then Deborah and Barak, the son of Abinohim, sang on that day, saying, When leaders lead in Israel, when the people willingly offer themselves, bless the Lord. So, the very beginning of the song here, the song is attributed, you know, usually just to Deborah, right? The song of Deborah, but it's not. Barak's role in the composition and the perhaps performance of the song is often overlooked, but he was right there as the two of them singing and praising God and creating the song and the theme of this because of what God did through them. The song is well within the tradition of the, of the other Jewish songs of deliverance. If you go back and you, if you do a study and, and research on G, uh, Jewish songs that were uh, based on deliverance or, or celebration, Miriam's song out of Exodus 15 20 and 21, we already studied that when we studied Exodus, But the songs are celebrating of David's victory over Goliath. He had a song, 1 Samuel 18, 7. So why not? Anytime God is doing something through the leaders, or something through his people, it should create a song. It should create worship to God of what took place in that moment. Leadership is important. Especially when they're doing the will of God and the work of God. And God expects leaders among his people to actually lead. There is a tremendous genuine need for leaders in their leadership. For God's people. But leaders are nothing without God's followers. Leaders are nothing without followers. And it is the job of the people to willingly offer themselves to their leaders to do what God's called them to do together. It's like a. I, I sat here and I'm, I'm looking at, you know, the, the worship team and and it's it, it's just it kind of it's like a, a conductor with the with the rest of the uh, orchestra. And. The conductor's the leader. The conductor must lead the orchestra. But the orchestra must be ready and willing to follow the conductor's leadership. And when the conductor does not, does his job and, and the orchestra does their job, they produce beautiful music together that everyone gets to be blessed by. And God gets to be glorified and worshipped. But they have to work together, but they have different roles. In verse three through five we say, "Hear, O king, give ear, O princesses, I even I will sing to the Lord and I will sing praise to the Lord God of Israel, Lord. When you went up went out from Seir, and when you marched from the field of Edom, those are t- that same place, Seir and Edom is the same place. The earth trembled, that's why we know that trembled. It must have been an earthquake, and the heavens poured. Uh, poured the clouds also poured water notice that heavens poured and the clouds also poured water there must have God created a lot of rain not just from a bunch of clouds the mountains gushed before the Lord why because all all that water was coming off those mountains it must have been incredible sight this Sinai before the Lord God of Israel so God won the victory of Israel over Sisera by sending a great rain. The heavens opened up, the clouds opened up, and it was just poured out on this time. It reminds us when we studied in Exodus, right, the days of Exodus, and in Deuteronomy 33.2, the same thing, how God can use his natural, the rains and things to, to bring about his will and purpose. But it should always remember that of God's goodness here. God's goodness to us didn't just start today. He has been good to us all along, all the time. It's, it, it's gone from before and after. I mean, it's, just, it's interesting as you study those verses. You can always remember that God's always, oh, God's good today. Well, God was good yesterday, the day before, and the day before, and he'll be good tomorrow. What are you talking about just today? God's always good. Then what happens? Now they t- they sing about the Canaanite oppression. Look at verses 6-8. In the days of Shamgar, son of Anath, in the days of Jael, the highways were deserted. The travelers walked along the byways. Village life ceased and has ceased in Israel until I, Deborah, arose and arose a mother in Israel. They chose new gods. Then there was war in the gates, not a shield or a fear was seen among the 40,000 in Israel. So it describes the oppression. It was a chaos in those cities and villages. You couldn't even walk the streets without being robbed, without being t- taken advantage of and, and stolen from. There's robbers every and oppressors everywhere. The people, the, God's people had to go find alternate routes, it says here. It wasn't even a, alongside the byways. They, had to, they couldn't even travel safely during these times. And it has ceased to exist during the day. And then God raised up Deborah to, to probably to inspire and to God's people. Okay, 40,000 of you. God's talking to me. Let me share with what God's talking to, talking to me about. And so you know that God is still with us. He's going to bring us out of this and bring us out of the oppression of these things. I know the land is full of anarchy and confusion. Infested with robbers who want to kill us. No public road system safe for us. We can't even go from place to place. We're locked down. We're out. We can't even go visit family. And if we do, we have to take this secret path so that no one even can see us. But from a spiritual analogy perspective of this, Satan always looking to oppress us as a Christian. He also wants to disarm the believers just like they disarmed them. It says they didn't even have shields or spears, anything to defend themselves. The enemy's always looking to disarm. Always looking to disarm the believer. He wants the believer to lay down the full armor of God that belongs to us in Christ Jesus, Ephesians 6, verses 12 through 18. Put down the word of God Forget about the faith in Jesus Christ. Follow follow an organization, a church organization. Truth? What's truth? You can change truth. God's word's not truth. Men made that up. Shield of faith? What faith? Your faith is in you and what that organization, and your money and your accounts. You have to get wealthy and healthy and wise, and that's what's going to help you through this thing. That's how the enemy works, spiritually. So you put the armor of God down and you're completely exposed to the enemy to come in and disarm you, let alone oppress you, and take you out. Until, for the nation of Israel, Deborah rose up. Until you turn back to Jesus because Jesus is the one that also lifts you up. Jesus is going to lift you up. Turn your eyes, go back to him, run to him. She didn't say, I, Deborah Rose. It's not a prideful thing she's saying here. She understood that God works through willing individuals. And she was the willing one in that crisis that God was going to work. She was willing. God, use me. I can hear her now. We're all oppressed. Depressed. Use me, God. What happens next in verse 9? My heart is with the rulers of Israel. Do so you notice? My, my heart's with the rulers of Israel. I'm not a ruler, the rulers of Israel. I'm just with them. I'm for them, what God can do with them. I, who offered themselves willingly with the people. Bless the Lord. Oh, he said, bless the Lord. God, these, the rulers are stepping up and they are with the people. And they know they need to turn back to God. She was a Protecting her, her job as a judge. Getting more power. She had a heart for other leaders and their work here. Her vision was bigger than just getting her job done. She wanted to see the kingdom of God advanced. Who offered themselves willingly with the people. Why? Because he, she found out because people were coming to her to listen to her and she knew that the people were for the leaders and for to go do them. They were themselves were willing. She knew this. And because of that, we see verses 10 through 12 talks about the great victory. Speak who you who ride on the white donkeys. That speaks of, of victory. Who sit in judge's attire and who walk along the road far from the noise of the archers and among the watering places. There they shall recount the righteous acts of the Lord and the righteous acts of his villagers in Israel, then the people of the Lord shall go down to the gates. Awake, awake, Deborah, awake, awake, sing a song. Arise, Barak, and lead your captives away, O son of Abinoam. Abinôm. So the song asks the civil leaders here, the civic leaders, along with Deborah and Barak, to tell the villagers, You in Israel, in these villages, you got to get up. God, you God's going to do great things. Let's move on. Let's go and let's do what God's called to do. We should never hide uh, who we are. As believers, we should never hide the light under a bushel. We know in Matthew 5, verses 15 through 18, 16. But let's tell others of the great things that God has done, is going to do, and is doing. Let's go tell them what God is, can do for them. Many need to wake up and sing a song and to praise God and to realize you're alive and God wants to use you in the lives of other people. Go out and encourage people in the faith. Go and tell them the good news of the gospel. Lead them to Christ. They're here saying, Deborah and Breg's like, let's tell these villagers and civic leaders, tell the people, the common people. Needed to hear God's great work. It was the job of the leaders to tell them. And when that happened, look what happens 13 through 18. The villages, the tribes, they come together to help. Look at that. Then the survivors came down and the people against the nobles. The Lord came down for me against the mighty from Ephraim, where those whose roots were in Amalek. After you, Benjamin, with your peoples... From Amakur rulers came down, and from Zebulun those who bear the recruiter's staff and the princesses of Issachar was with Deborah. And as Issachar was with Barak, sent into the valley under his command among the divisions of Reuben. And there were great resolves of heart. Why did you sit among the sheepfolds to hear the pipings of the flocks? The divisions of Reuben have great researches of heart. Gilead stayed beyond the Jordan. And why did Dan remain on ships? And Asher continued at the seashore, and they stayed by their in his inlets. Zebulun is, is a people who jeopardized their lives to the point of death, and Naphtali also on the heights of the battlefield. So here in 13 through 18, we can see she calls out those tribes that actually helped And those who stayed home and stayed away from uh, saving Israel. Look at what she remembers God's help, right? And Deborah knew that his help came from the tribes of Israel. As they were steered to go and do this hard work for God. They steered to join in battle. And Deborah praised those tribes. What tribes? What notable tribes were there to help the nation of Israel? Ephraim West Manasseh. Benjamin, Zebulun, Issachar, and Naphtali. They came together and literally went forward. But she also called out the ones who did not help. Reuben, the east side of the Manasseh tribe, Dan and Asher, they did not join the battle. We don't know why. Then in verse 19 through 23, the kings came and fought, and then the kings of Canaan fought in Tanek by the waters of Megiddo. They took no spoils of silver. They fought from the heavens and the stars from their courses fought against Sisera. The torrent of Kishon swept them away. uh, That ancient torrent, the torrent of Kishon, oh my soul, march on in strength. Then the horses hooves pounded the galloping and the galloping of his steeds. Curse Merzos, said the angel of the Lord. Curse its inhabitants bitterly because they did not Come to help, to the help of the Lord, and to the help of the Lord against the mighty. So the battle was fought from the heavens. They sang of it God, you actually fought from the heavens. He rained down on them. The earthquake took place, all kinds of things. The Canaanite chariots had no use to, because of so much water and so much destruction of that. It swept them away, as they say. It was that much water coming down from heaven. And there was a curse, curse the inhabitants, curse Merzos, said the angel of the Lord. Apparently the city of Merzos was of, of no help whatsoever to, in this situation. God still accomplished his work, but the city of Merzos was cursed because they had no part in it. They must. Have, they, they should have, but they didn't. So what happens? We see the praise of Jael here in verse 24 through 27. Most blessed among women is Jael, the wife of Heber, the Canaanite. Blessed is she among women in tents. (laughs) She asked for water, she gave milk. That's a very key thing, right? She knew what she was doing, giving that milk. She brought out cream in a, a lordly bowl. I mean, she even gave him brought out some cream for him. He stretched his hand to she stretched her hand to the tent peg, her right hand to the workman's hammer. She pounded Sisera, she pierced his head, she split it and struck through his temple. At her feet he sank, he fell. He lay still at her feet. He sank, he fell. Where the, he sank, there he fell dead. You can almost hear the the worship team repeating that that little that that one more time, one more time. Hey, hey, she poured the you know she split and struck the head. She fell at it you know at the feet at the sink. He fell and he lay still. He, I'm sure you can put a, some kind of a tune to that, Mark. I'm sure. What jail did would be condemned by many in. The days of judge. A lot of commentators actually judge her for what God used her to do. Instead of protecting and being hospitable to her guests, he wasn't a guest. He was a fugitive. He was a runner. (laughs) He wasn't a guest. People forget that. Hi, jail. I'm so glad. Can we do tea together? Where's your husband? We'll wait for it. Wait. No. He was a fugitive. He's going against. Their people who they had separated from, remember, Canaanites, were still descendants from them. Yet she was blessed here because right here she is being sung about the fact that she actually is a blessed woman to do, out of that obedience to the cause of God, used her outside the traditional custom way, he used her to do the work that he needed done. Verse 28 and 30. The mother of Sisera looked through the window. Oh, now the the, the mourning takes place here. If you see the disappointment of what they expected is a absolute full win, no gu- guarantee we're going to have victory with these all these chariots. Are you kidding me? But here's the mother of Sisera looking through the window. Wait, wait, wait. Where is he? I thought I'd be back by now, and cried out through the lattice. Why is this chariot so long in coming? She knew in her heart as a mother. Her son's not coming back. Why tarries the clatter of his chariots? Her wisest ladies answered her. Yes, she answered herself. Are they not finding and dividing the spoil to every man, a girl or, or two? Wait, wait, wait. Mothers, don't, don't cry. Your, your son's coming. They have so much spoil, they're splitting up. That's why they're delayed. They've got, the, the, the girl here is actually slave women. They've got, they're taking a couple of women, and girls into slavery. They're having a great time, mom. Don't worry about it. They're, they'll be coming. For Sisera's plunder of dyed garments. Oh, they're going to be bringing you up with all these beautiful garments for you, mom. Don't worry about it. Plunder of garments embroidered and, and dyed. Oh, two pieces of dyed embroidery for the neck of the of the looter. Oh, they're just wrapped in this luxury, mom. Don't worry about it. Forget about it. He'll be coming. There's a the mother or sister looking through the window. Every death has consequences. And Deborah thought of and and celebrated the consequences of Sisera's death. She actually sang about his death here and the impact and the consequences it had on family. Verse 31, the final praise to God. Thus let all your enemies perish, O Lord. But let those who love him be like the sun when it comes out in full strength. So the land had rest for 40 years. (laughs) So the final praise. Thus let all your enemies perish. To love God is to hate his enemies. A man or woman is defined as much by who their enemies are as by who their friends are. (laughs) Praise God, God get rid of the enemy. Let it be so good, it's like the sun coming out. It's just going to be so warm and so filling. How much better it is to be on one of those who love him than rather to be on one who is God's enemies. Amen? Are you for God or are you against God? I'd rather be for God. I don't want to be against God. Over and over throughout Judges, we will read that the land had rest for 40 years. 40 years. 40 years. You know 40 years in the Bible means a generation. It seems as though every generation has its own deliverance and its own revival and its own encounter with God. Why is that? All I know is how thankful that the Lord that we're seeing the outpouring of His Spirit today. We see it in the news, people, the young people coming and, and having these little mini revivals and, and taking place. I pray that it's God's Spirit is pouring out on this new generation. What a joy it is to be part of a people, even here at Calvary Chapel, and the people we know, being part of a people who love the Lord, who love the Word, who love each other. There's nothing greater than that. I want to be part of that. I want to be part of a fellowship. I want to be part of God's moving in spirit within this church that people who are coming and God's calling to come here to love the Lord and love the word and love each other. There's no greater place to dwell in a church that's like that. May our church continue to be a church that loves the Lord and loves his word and loves each other. Amen. Father, we thank you for your word this evening. We thank you again, Lord, for your word to be able to provide the nourishment, encouragement, correction, all the things necessary in our lives. or you just have a way of that. Speak to us as your spirit moves. Just continue to speak to us as you have and as you will continue as we ponder on your word, meditating on it day and night. May it draw us closer to you, fall in deeper in love with you and with each other as brothers and sisters in the Lord.